not to strive for going from zero to 100 customers directly. So, so you don't have to spend one year, two, three years on like preparing everything. For me, it's about getting one customer at a time. Welcome to the podcast B2B SaaS CEOs with me, Joseph Olsen, as your host. I'm the CEO and founder of VAM that helps sales teams close more deals and book more meetings through video messaging. The idea to this podcast was born because one of my personal goals is to be a world-class B2B SaaS CEO and therefore I need to learn from the best. And I want to take you with me on this journey. Hi, my name is Petter Hedborg, CEO and founder of Modular Finance and you're listening to B2B SaaS CEOs. Hi and welcome, Peter. Thank you so much. How are you? It's Friday. Are you feeling good? I'm feeling good. A lot of things uh, happening. So yeah, it's it's good. Nice. And then first thing first, Peter, what does your company, Modular Finance, do? Please do the elevator pitch. So in, in short, Modular Finance is a SaaS company. Uh, we develop and sell a range of different uh, products towards two business areas, banking and uh, finance, and also investor relations. So our products are used in the everyday life of, of, of bankers or uh, investor relations uh, professionals. And uh, without going into too much of a detail of the products, we always believe that the product should be best in class, but that is just a hygiene factor. What should really make us stand out as a company is the usability of the products and the level of customer support that the uh, clients get when, when using them. So for me, sauce is solution sales uh, rather than just a product or specifically in, in our field of sauce. As Breakit has framed it, you are one of Sweden's most profitable sauce companies right now. And you are bootstrapped also. Yes. Uh, so, so those things, I think, go together. Uh, we have uh, been forced to build the, the, the platform uh, of this company right from the start, so to say. We have taken our time. We've been doing it for almost... 10 years soon, a little more than, than nine years. Uh, and uh, when you don't have a lot, of a lot of money on the bank, you have to charge the customers and, and grow with the, with the capital that comes into the company. And then you also have to be really, really, you really have to think about how, how to, to build things. So, so that's basically the, the basis of our profitability now when, when we have scaled a little bit and, and are a little bit bigger than, than we were from the start. It's just saying hat off and uh, continue to a bit storytelling because I love to hear stories. I want to hear the story, Petter, of how the idea of modular finance was born. Yeah. So uh, to understand why we founded modular finance, we, we, I first have to explain where, where, where it came from. And, and, and that was our first company called Introduce. So uh, when starting uh, my studies at Hanshögskolan here in Stockholm, I met with Mons, or I actually met him before at the stock uh, forum. We talked about uh, microcap stocks in, in, in Sweden, and we understood that we were going to study in, in the same university. And, and then I convinced Mons uh, to, to 
found uh, a, a company with me where we helped microcap uh, investor relations departments to, to get out there and get introduced to, to investors. So we did that for five years. And while doing that, we uh, found uh, an interested field of financial data, uh, ownership data and, and flow data, who's buying and selling what, uh, that we then, when uh, looking for the next adventure after selling introduce, um, we felt that that was a good starting point. Uh, but the idea was actually from the start. Uh, a lot of these things when founding a company just happens, but, but our story is actually that we wanted to build a portfolio brand, modular finance, that would stand for uh, innovation uh, and uh, high level of customer support in uh, financial information. And then in that like portfolio build a range of small niche product that could really serve the, the specific needs of, of IROs and also investment bankers and portfolio managers and, and so on. So what we have done is actually quit pretty close to what, what we uh, set out to do. Uh, and also with the goal of creating something that could become at least 10 times bigger than what we built with, with Introduce. Uh, and there we, uh, when we sold it, was a bit past 10 million uh, SEC in ARR. And, and now we've actually managed to, to pass 100 million SEC in ARR with, with modular finance. Congratulations. And uh, yeah, this is, uh, I, I, from my point of view, at least, this is a clear red thread. You have felt a passion for this area for like soon 20 years? Absolutely. That, that's the, the, the best summary of it. We, we do things that, that, that we love. And for me still, the days when I can focus with one or two developers on, on, on creating a, a new feature in a product, that's, that's still my, my best days, I would say. Great to hear. Now I need to address a thing that's, that anyone that follows you on LinkedIn have heard about. And you frame it, the battle of the share books of the stock companies. Yeah. Can you please share a summary of what this is all about and yeah, the story about it? I'll tr try to do it as, as short and, and uh, easy to understand as possible. So in basic, all public listed companies are connected to uh, a clearinghouse. Uh, it's the same in, in, in any uh, country where you have a, a stock exchange. Someone needs to clear the, um, the deals being made. When you buy 100 stocks in, in, in a company, someone needs to get your money and you need to get the stocks and someone needs to keep track of that. And, and the logic of the market makes this uh, a de facto monopole market in, in basically every country because it's too complex if you have two or three or four different clearinghouses. All the banks, all the fund managers, all the, 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 the parties that are connected to this clearinghouse would get a much more complex and, and, and problematic situation if there were more than one. A residual of this is that uh, Euroclear, that has this de facto monopoly in, in Sweden, has all the share ledgers or the, the share registry. Uh, so this is the, 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 the property or the data of the listed companies themselves. It's, it's their own share register, but Euroclear has it in, 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 their, in their database, basically. And there were some changes about to be made on how the companies themselves could buy this data back. So the, 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 the main part of this uh, conflict is not actually 
directly affecting us. It's not us picking up the bill, but the problem is we see ourselves as one of the only parties that can uh, can bring this together. Because just one listed company fighting against Euroclear will will be hard. But we have hundreds of these companies as customers, and we try to 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 uh, fight for them and also of course fight for uh, ourselves so we get the right um, possibilities to compete in in this market so the basics of it is that we believe that euroclear is using their monopolistic uh, position to uh, charge much more than than they uh, can and should for their company's own share registers so that's what konkurrensverket in sweden is now uh, closely looking into when will you know the next step of, uh, will this be many years or is this, mo- how, how long will this continue process? Good question. Good question. I don't know. Uh, the only thing we had, have said and a good thing once again about being bootstrapped and not having a lot of stressed investors uh, that, that, that wants us to, to end things just for, for, for the sake of things being calm. Uh, we 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 are in a marathon here, so we have no problems uh, with 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 uh, until until the, the the playing field is set right. We will we will keep fighting. So we have reached first uh, small goal where where the data uh, a new service has been launched by Euroclear where where they sell the data separately. Uh, the pricing is still completely uh, wrong, I believe. Uh, but but we're we're reaching small goals all the time, and we will keep fighting uh, until uh, until we we reach our uh, all our goals. Okay, then I need to move on now, Peter, because uh, I have my classical topics here yeah. in my podcast. You know this; it's about business development and leadership. Yep. So let's dive into business development. Talking KPIs. Yeah. Which top KPIs on a company level are the most important for you? So um, we were super, super basic. Once again, I, I keep coming back to this, but, but as we don't have a, a, a big uh, range of, of investors that wants to compare us to their other comp- portfolio companies and so on and so on, um, we keep it super, super simple. Uh, so what I follow is, is basically the, the, the everyday sales cycles uh, are, are order intakes or how many new deals uh, that that we do from from month to month and also after we have six different products i also look at the 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 um the concentration of arr and what products is is uh, performing well for the moment and how they work together uh and other than that of course uh, you need to keep track of of churn uh for us uh it's two uh, types of, of, of churn as we work with mainly listed companies. It happens from time to time that someone buys a company out and then some of our products are not in need anymore. So that would be like a, a structural churn where we cannot do that much. But of course, we also have more uh, regular churn where, where someone moves to a competitor or, or, or someone is unhappy with, with, with the level of service. So uh, I, I look at that quite a lot as well. But the, the, the regular sauce metrics with like CAC and uh, stuff like that, I, I, I'm, for me, that's a little bit like a DCF for an investor. You, can, you could put in a lot of numbers that, that, that makes it look good or makes it look looks bad. So, so I, tr- I try to keep my KPIs super, super basic. Customers in, customers out. Boom. 
simple. Talking about go-to-market strategies, since you clearly have managed to do that successfully, can you share some of your best practices around that for a startup? I would say that the best advice you can get is not to strive for going from zero to 100 customers directly. So, so you don't have to spend one year, two, three years on like preparing everything uh, the, the, the absolute best possible way and, and, and then getting out there to, to like conquer the market in a year. For, for me, it's about uh, getting one customer at a time. Uh, of course, you need to have a, 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 a ready product so you can charge for it from day one. I believe that you should have the actual pricing of the product in the long term set from the start. Then you can go out and say, okay, first six months or first 12 months or even first 18 months, you will get a discount, either a, a, a staircase model or just a flat discount. So you tell the customer, okay, this product won't be completely ready and you will get a discount for that. But after this discount period is done, you can expect that the product is fully functioning in a way. So I think it's much better to sign a contract with an actual price and with discounts rather than just signing some kind of demo contract and then getting into the talks of what what uh, what it should cost. So signing contracts with the actual price, with discounts, and then truly listening to the customers and uh, using the knowledge from, that you get from the customer the, the right way, not just to adapt uh, very customer-specific needs, but, but rather having a, a product management that's really close to the account executives where you uh, value what changes to be made in the product and, and really show the first customers that you care uh, and, and that you are uh, adaptable and not too focused on just this is sauce is one product, we cannot do company-specific things. You have to have balance there to, to show them that you care and to show them that it's worth working with a small player rather than a big global company that, where everything takes so much time. And when you have found a couple of right customers and you have sold to them and you have your discount staircase, etc., what would you say are the best practices then to, to go from the 5 or 15 or 25 customers to the 100? If you've done it right, that step will happen pretty organically. So if you really listen to those customers, uh, adapt your product accordingly and then just increase the level of sales mating that you take, it should produce that uh, little bit exponential customer intake. So I would say that the, 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 the tough answer would be if you have done it right, it will happen automatically. I, I agree. So the period here, we stop it so people can focus on this part and we move on to talking about hardcore sales or with another word, cold outreach yeah what would you say is the best way to do a cold outreach to you to get your attention and most likely get you into a meeting first of all i would like people to write petter and not peter uh, if someone writes me an email with one t i, I do not answer no uh, but but uh, in short um i think it's really from person to person so this is not the general answer but for me i can just take an example of a of a recruiter and you got a lot of, of, of 
contacts from from recruiters but there was one now that got my attention and for me the best way to get my attention is via email uh, and a, a really short like honest email where i can see that someone is not writing the same thing to 50 different companies and just writing it out there does not have to be super fancy but it has to be short it has to be on the on point uh, and it has to like take account that they respect my time in some sense and and a lot of salespeople are just now it's the third time i contact you blah 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 so a short honest straight to the point email uh, that is the, the best way to to get my attention because call is good but I think that's better as a callback. If someone calls me and I have not spoken to them before, the risk is that I'm, I'm, I'm in a super stressful situa situation. I cannot take it when I want it. So, so for me, uh, a short, honest, straight to the point email is, is the best way. And would you say if you do all these steps, I email you, it's short, it's crisp, and you see that it's clearly personal because I also have a short video message where I have a quick demo once I got your attention, attention with text. Would you say that a qu quick video message hurts or help if you do above right? I, I, I understand that you need to do the above right. It depends probably on the type of, of email. If it's just a follow-up, for example, I might get frustrated if, if that video does not make sense to be there. But but if, it, if it's something got my attention and then I can get some more info in another way, I think it could really help. So if you use it the right way, I, I think it, it, it sure could be a, a good tool. We need to move on. So we yeah. move on to a lighter topic. A fun fact. Can you please share something about yourself that most people don't know about? Yeah. One thing that I'm super proud of, I'm, I'm, I don't have to get into the, 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 the details, how many participated and, and so on, but, but I actually have two silver medals in the Swedish championship in two different sports. So those are barefoot skiing on water and uh, pike fishing. So I, I hope that that's something that's a little bit unique to have a Swedish championship silver medals in two big separate sports. <laughs> it's a silver medal in two different sports. That yeah. is a fun fact, according to Not me. Not that bad. No. Now it's time for me to leading it back to a bit uh, tougher topic again. Mistakes. What would you say is the biggest mistake you have ever made in business that you can think of right now and want to share about? For me, my, my profile uh, and, and the, 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 the way of working that I try to, to teach to, to, to our team is keep taking decisions and take a lot of small decisions. So, so I want people rather to take 10 decisions where, where six or seven are good and, and some are bad, rather than just being able to take five decisions and, and four or five of those are, are good. So it's hard for me to single out one single big mistake. For me, it's rather about accepting making small mistakes uh, every day all the time, because I think it's so much better to take a lot of decisions and accepting small mistake and fix them with new decisions rather than, than uh, hanging everything up on these big milestone things. Uh, but, but sure, if I have to look at one bigger thing, 
It could be that in the early days of modular finance, I think maybe we could have been a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more daring uh, how we recruited people. I'm actually not spending that much time looking in the back mirror and, and, and thinking about what we have, could have done differently and so on. Of course, you can learn from mistakes, but for me, it's rather to learn from the everyday mistakes than these like big things and being really theoretical and, and uh, painting with, with big strokes. I'm, I'm into the, the, small, the, the business of small decisions. This, what you just said at the end, it's so niched and not like people want quick fixes, not this detailed stuff, but it's the truth. Mm. It, that's what works. It, it's time for the topic of your choice now. Mm. One of my questions here isn't a question. It's just me sip it and let you talk. So for a few minutes now, Peter, please, can you share and talk about something that you are very nerdy and passionate about? The thing I'm most nerdy and passionate about, there are two things. It's the stock market and it's fishing. And I think it's funnier to talk about fishing. So, so uh, for me, uh, sport fishing is a big part of my life. Uh, I uh, am a goal-oriented uh, person. Uh, I have hard uh, time just uh, like putting down my, my phone, not looking at emails coming in. Uh, I'm I'm in one sense like many CEOs I believe always like connected. It's it's good in one way, but it's bad in one way. But the only thing that can really get me to calm down and and to 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 really snap out of the the life of, of running a company and caring a lot about the company is is when I go out fishing. Uh, and and uh, the unique thing with fishing for me is that it's a, a, a totally one of a kind uh, mix between total relaxation out in the nature uh, and a total tension of something big happening at every single point in time. So uh, I think without fishing, fishing is my meditation. That's how I uh, like clean my head, uh, get 10, 13 hours of fresh air into my lungs, standing up, throwing a big uh lure into the water hoping for that huge pike to, to to bite and seeing new parts of sweden i travel around a lot with my boat uh, and and see new waters and, and new parts of sweden and 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 talking with my also super nerdy fishing friends about names of lures how to fish where the 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 pike are hiding today that that's yeah it's a it's a big and important part of my life and is this something that have grown over time or is it really since you were very young fishing is since i was very young it was since six years of age but for for every year almost i've become more passionate and more nerdy. So it started out like a lot of people with the red and white float and, 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 and fishing on a dock. And now I, I, I spend a lot of time uh, in, in, in the car with the boat behind and finding new waters and competing in pike fishing and, and, and so on. So it, it's been there for a long time, uh, but it, it, it's becoming stronger and stronger for, for, for every day. And both the stock market and fishing is those type of interest where you can never get um, 
to the end. You can always get better and you can always strive for, for new adventures and learn new things. And that really motivates me. That's why I love this topic because I hear every week I hear new things and like sports physics. I'm not so interested at all, but I hear your passion like, yeah, of course. That's why I love listening to passionate people talking about things they are passionate about. Yeah. So thank you so much for sharing about sport fishing. And now it's time for an external question yeah. because I want to lift in the community. So it's not just me thinking and asking it's other people too and today it's Jenice Mendoza and this is her question my question to you Peter is if everything you have created so far in your life disappears from one day to another and you only can be left with one lesson or something you've learned that can help humanity to succeed what lesson would that be uh good question big question uh if i uh, if i zoom it in a little bit about business as this pod is about business development and leadership so so it's not too big uh i would say it's it's uh in the same tangent as what i've been talking about this keep taking decisions uh not getting your goals too far away it's good to have those kind of goals as well but for things to happen and the best companies I meet and the best people I meet, they, they truly live for the everyday and taking decisions that, that affect this week or this month, because you never know what to happen. So, so being okay with, with not being short term, it's, it's not about that. They can still take into account that you want uh, the, 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 the direction to be uh, in the right way for the long term, but, but not be afraid of taking decisions. And also something I've truly learned from the stock market is that it's super, super dangerous uh, to uh, look at life and look at decisions when having the eyes in, in, the, in, in the rear mirror. And, and uh, I should have done that or we should have done like that because everything is obvious when you have the result in your hands and and the stock market is a good way to understand that because that's just okay everyone knows that that it's stupid to say if i could just read the paper uh one month uh into the future i know what stocks to buy but that's basically what you do when you uh, standing today and you say i should have done that one week ago or i should have done that one week ago uh, it can make you crazy and you shouldn't uh, trick yourself to, to, to be disappointed or just uh, feel bad that why didn't I understand that then? Okay, I didn't. I took this decision. What can I do now to fix it? What new decision can I, can I take? So, so, yeah, somewhere around there uh, would be, would be uh, the, the lesson. Lesson learned. And Yanis, uh, thank you for a great question. We move on to leadership. Yeah. Are you a good leader? Really good question. I don't know. I ask myself that uh, quite often. And of course, I, I, I hope I am. What, what I know is that it goes up and down. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm not uh, a straight line. I have good days. I have bad days. And I, I, it, it should be affecting my leadership. So, so it could surely be periods where where I'm a better leader and where I'm a, when I'm a worse leader what what I believe 
that I can do from time to time is is to be a, a, a fairly inspiring inspiring leader because because I I think people notice that I'm no I'm no bullshit talker. I I, I talk by mind. Uh, even if you like it or if you don't, it's in recruiting or speaking to our staff or whatever. I, I try to keep things super transparent and, and super honest. Uh, and and I hope that that uh, when I'm inspired, uh, people get inspired. Uh, so uh, yeah, I strive to be a better leader every day. I, I try to learn if I'm a good leader in some general sense. I don't know. What would you say are your top one to three superpowers as a leader? Oh, also a hard question because it's hard to, to, I don't know, accept is not the right word, but to like talk about them being superpowers. I don't know if I have any, but something that I believe I am fairly strong at is uh, convincing people, know how I can get someone uh, to do what I want, basically. Uh, and, and finding the right arguments and adapting to a specific person or, or, or a situation. And that, of course, is sales. That's what you do when you're selling. Uh, and I love selling. Uh, I love uh, convincing someone that my product is, is uh, the best and why they should have it. It's, it's really rewarding in, to, to, to succeed with that. And, and now it becomes less and less true sales without selling a product because I, I don't have time for it, but but rather um, maybe um, talking about the big deal, we're buying new data or uh, recruiting some some senior person or, or whatever it can be. So find adapting to, to situations and, and being able to, to uh, convince people to, to take a decision, to take a direction that I want. Uh, I hope that I'm, I'm fairly strong at. One thing that I, I'm happy about in work is that I always, I'm always able to form an opinion. If someone comes to me and says, okay, should we do this and that? It's often wrong, but I all, always, I'm always able to say A or B. Uh, it's not that often that I say, okay, I need to think about it. I need to analyze. I go a lot on my gut feeling. Uh, and, and I hope that that's a, uh, yeah, a, a, a condensed format of all the, the things I've experienced and, and seen. And, and I think that I'm happy that I can use that to take quick decisions and, and always uh, give straight answers to, to the people that rely on my uh, decision. So, yeah, that was two. Yeah. I think we put period here then. Yeah. Spinning around, talking about negative things. Mm. What would you say are the worst things about being a leader and how do you tackle it? It's like like everything. The worst thing, the, the best things and the worst things comes from, from the same uh, melting pot in, in one way. So the, the responsibility, I would say, is, is the worst because I, I really, really do care about our company. I really, really do care about our people. And that can be... A struggle uh, when you're in a period where it doesn't go the way it it uh, we we wanted for for a certain individual or uh, something happened in in a person's life that 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 that's tough. So it's a lot of 
firefighting work as a as a boss as a leader as a ceo and and if you care as much as i do anyway and as much as probably a lot of leaders do it's it's from time to time heavy to 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 bear that and to do it for a long period of of time uh, so i think the the weight of the responsibility uh, is probably the the downside of it. Uh, I'm I can never look to someone else to to fix uh, a, a core problem. It's it's on me, and I feel I really really feel that responsibility, and that can be heavy. And what's your best practices, quick ones to tackle it? I would say is to to have dialogues with the people potentially affected. And I also have a, a fantastic co-founder and also our CTO that's basically a co-founder as well. So we have had from day one a fantastic dialogue regarding these big questions. So uh, whenever periods come when it feels too heavy, uh, just get it out there and speak to someone about it. And, and uh, norm, uh, often it feels better just to, uh, to talk about it. Good point. And last thing here, if you need to summarize leadership from your point of view with one word, what would that be for you? If I need to just use just one word, I would say respect. It's the most important thing. Uh, you can do things the wrong way and you can be uh, angry, you can be happy, you can do all things. But if you as a leader still uh, are worth the respect of your employees, things will sort themselves out. So I think that keep your core values uh, and and try to do the right things for the company uh, and you will uh, gain the respect of the people working for you. And if you still have that, everything else will, will, uh, will, will sort themselves out over time. We stop there and entering the roundup. We only have three quick ones left now. If you would give yourself... When you were a younger CEO, one to three top things to think of that you now know that you didn't know. What would you tell yourself? I would tell myself that uh, people, culture, team, vision, those kind of things means everything. So if it's if it's not fun, you can do things perfectly in some theoret- theoretical way. Uh, and, and uh, that will make a, a, a really nice and good company in, in the short run. But if you do not have the, the depth of the company culture uh, and, and uh, the, 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 the soft values in an organization and some kind of vision, something that you stand for, something that you want to do, uh, then that company will not strive over time so so those type of things when you study and stuff like that i remember when i studied economics i thought the management courses were like just uh humbug uh but but those things are the true important things and what what makes the days that that feel really good in your stomach in a company where you feel that everyone comes together doing things together that what's create fantastic uh, companies i would say second last question other B2B SaaS that you think are interesting? Uh, I know both Kira and Malcolm, but I know I think you have interviewed them both already. Yeah. Uh, I had lunch yesterday with a person that, that I really enjoy speaking to, Peter Bonnier at StoryKit. I don't know if you have interviewed him yet. 
Thank you for the name. So you who listen, if you haven't listened to the episode with Kira from Pocket Law and Malcolm from Alva Labs, do that. And I will reach out to Peter Bonnier at Bonnier and Store Kit. And last thing here now, where will you, meaning modular finance, be in five years? Uh, for me, size and money uh, in the end, all those things are important, but far, far from the most important thing. I really want to enjoy the ride. I want the people in our company to enjoy the ride. I want us to make it with balanced level of risk. Uh, and therefore, these numbers, 30 to 40% annual growth, I think is a, is a, is a good uh, aspiration. And those numbers as well require, require quite some work. So hopefully we're three times bigger. Hopefully we have about a third of our ARR from Sweden, one third from the Nordics and one third from UK. Uh, and hopefully we still feel like that small company uh, and, and we have not grown, grown too much in, in headcount. And enjoying the ride. Yep. Peter, I wish you the biggest of luck with that. And now I'm quickly shifting the focus to you who has been listening. Two quick ones here. Number one, tell a friend or a colleague to listen to Petter in B2B SaaS CEOs and press the subscription button because there is a lot of amazing guests here. And Petter, a huge thank you for putting aside around 30 minutes together with me to help the community and me to keep on learning. Thank you, Joseph.